Cause we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers number one Yes, we're the Houston Oilers Houston Oilers Houston Oilers listening to Battle Red Radio. My name is Matt Weston. Tonight, I'm joined by the biggest, the fattest, the drunkest of them all, BFD, and uh, also our, our, good, our good friend, our good pal, Kenneth. How are you fellas doing tonight? Woo! Doing pretty well. Good. Yeah. I'm glad somebody's happy in this world. <laughs> I'm happy. Good. Damn Even it. Better. I'm glad there's two people happy in this world. Uh, so, like whenever JFK was assassinated, or whenever the Texas Rangers lost the World Series, I'll never forget where I was. Just like whenever Brian Game was fired last Friday at, I guess, about like 5.15 p.m. Central Time. A nice, big, fat, heaping, steaming news dump uh, right at the end of the day. And I'll never forget where I was. I was on Trading Wine, driving up to Dallas. And uh, I'll never forget that moment. So, BFD... Where were you when the Texans decided to fire Brian, Brian Gain? I was on my front porch, and I got a text. And I was supposed to be going for a walk, and my daughter was just like, um, why are you laughing so hard? Aren't you going on her walk? And so I'm running back to my office so I can write an email. because, And I swear, I laughed for like the next hour solid. It was just, to me, this whole thing was high comedy. What about you, Kenneth? Uh, you know, being in California, everything is just two hours later. Uh, so I was still at work, and my phone went from zero to sixty in the <laughs> Like, like being the the guru of the group for my friends, it's just so funny because everyone's like, "What just happened?" And it's like, "I don't know. I know nothing. I'm like John Snow out here. I literally know nothing. Everything's happening at the same time." Um, I thought it was it had to have been a scandal because it's so outside of the Texans norm and for it not to be a scandal is even more crazy. Uh, you know, he, he didn't do anything crazy. Like he, they just let him go. Just bang. Yeah. And that, that's what makes this like such a weird story. And this is the weirdest story in like the history of the franchise, just because it's been kind of a boring franchise. Like it's pretty stable. Uh, they've had, you know, three general managers, Three, di- three different head coaches. Like, that's it. There's not really a lot of controversy or drama uh, with the football team. Just, you know, a lot of bad to mediocre football uh, over these last 18 years. And so, like, for this to be kind of, like, such a big blindside, happen out of nowhere, uh, have, have it happen, like, on a Friday like this, especially, like, this time of year where there's no news or any stories all whatsoever come from the team where you're just trying to, like, scrape content. Like, I have content with my fingernails just from just trying to scrape things together. And uh, for something like this just to happen on nowhere was just super weird. I think this is the weirdest uh, story to happen in the history of the franchise. Can you think of anything weirder at all, Kenneth? Um, so the only thing I could really think weirder, and I had to like go into it, was I would say that 2013 NFL draft, where we're, number one, you have DJ Swearinger and his dog bite Jadavion Clowney. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> you have Brendan Williams, who is now a WWE wrestler. Sam Montgomery never he got he gets arrested. The cop gets uh fired for the way he treated. I think he tased uh, Sam Montgomery. Trevardo Williams is never hurt again, and David Questenberry comes like has is a cancer uh has a cancer diagnosis. 
and all in like a three, like the entire draft class is just gone. And the only good parts of it were the bookends, which is DeAndre Hopkins and Ryan Griffin, which, I mean, if you can call Griffin a good bookend, but that, I think that's the, one of the, the second weirdest story for me. Yeah. Yeah. The whole 14 season, I guess, was just like a series of unfortunate events where it's just kind of strange thing after strange thing after strange thing. Yeah. That was, that was a bad year. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So like, I'm still not entirely sure why this happened. And so we're going to kind of go through and you sit through the tea leaves a little bit. Uh, But today the Texans did have their first day of mandatory minicamp and Bill O'Brien did have a press conference. And so, I'm just on the internet. I'm going to read some things that Aaron Wilson posted from Bill O'Brien. He said, Cal McNair said on a statement, he did a thorough evaluation of the football operation, and that included me. He's very clear with me on what we need to do to grow as an organization. Uh, Alan Cal, he's a very humble person, very good at articulating. He's very clear in his expectations moving forward. Uh, on his relationship with Brian Game, I'll go back to the statement Cal made. That was a, a tough decision for him to make. Uh, he did thorough evaluations is the decision we made on Jack Easterby. He helps in all areas of the team, helps move the team, he helps put in processes of the duties of each relative department to the team. It's all about the team. And he still hasn't talked to Brian Gane uh, since the team fired him. So he really said absolutely nothing today. Uh, BFD, were you expecting to hear anything at all from uh, Bill O'Brien after this firing happened? No. It's going to be later on because of the way that Bill O'Brien operates. It's going to become like um, like gym class in junior high school, and where we're going to start getting these rumors being floated out that oh, you know, that's this is what Gain did, and this is what you know Bill O'Brien thought. So we haven't quite reached the stage of this uh, of this uh, manufactured crisis yet, because you damn well know Bill O'Brien's going to go all melodramatic on it. That's his, that's his mo. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to, you know, week five, the team's like one and four, and then you'll have all the media reports like that. I didn't want Titus Howard. I didn't want Max Sharping. I didn't want Lion Johnson. This is all Brian Gay. This is all his fault, you know. And uh, my conspiracy theory about the reason why he was fired was that he looked around the team. He looked at the schedule. He said, oh, okay, we're going to win six games, seven games, maybe nine games. So let me pre- preemptively you know, go to the owner get this guy fired, put the blame on him so I can keep my job for another year. Because if, if something like that happens, you know, I am probably gone. And, uh, and then this is what led to this whole thing entirely. It's my conspiracy theory. I uh, did kind of start off what we'll be talking about. But, Kenneth, were you expecting O'Brien to say anything all tonight? Or are you starting his press conference earlier today? You know, I, I knew he, he – I mean, you watch those, the players that just get drafted. They say nothing. They aren't allowed to say anything. And so you're going to see that from the coach that is, is on to, over them. He, he's not going to let them or let anyone say anything that is out of line, that is not by the textbook. And it, it's not surprising that we didn't get anything. It's just the most blasé like, group of words that he could put together. Uh, not surprised at all. Nothing happened. Yeah. All right. So we'll go through, I guess, some of the ideas, maybe why this happened. And like most things, the answer is probably a combination of a bunch of different things. So, the first one I have here, BFD, is that Nick Easterby, who was recently hired to be the VP of, I guess, personnel uh, from New England as well, too. He wanted more control of the team, and he asked Bill O'Brien that he told him he wanted more control of the team, especially after this offseason, probably. And then O'Brien sided with him, went over to Cal McNair, complained, maybe they both did t- together, and uh, that led to Brian Gaines firing. Do you see this plausible at all? Do you think of you know, Nick Easterby as some like, uh, 
you know, dark art, you know, sorcerer who has all these strings tied together behind the scenes already in this franchise? No, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to kind of cut to my chase. So yeah, yeah. And, and I, I don't have a conspiracy theory. I've got a football general manager, why he gets fired theory. And that's because he did a crappy job on the off season. He did nothing. He had one job. He really had one job this off season. And that was to keep Deshaun Watson clean. And, and you're not going to do that by, uh, by signing Matt Khalil and by drafting two rookies to play tackle. That's your, your, your offensive line is still trash. And so he didn't make a move for Roger Saffold. We got oh, my guy. Yeah. We, we didn't, we didn't make a move for Andre Diller. You, you know what? What again, it, I want to go, just go back to just really just let's not go conspiracy theorists on this. Do you think the Texans are going to say Titus Howard was our guy all the way? Or do you think they're going to say, man, game really screwed it up? I mean, what are they going to say? They're going to, they're going to say nice things about the guys they drafted. But what I think happened, Big Matt, is I think, and Kenneth, is I think that after OTAs, Bill O'Brien saw a major problem with his offensive line play. And he said to himself, oh, crap. Kane did a horrible job. I'm going to take the blame if the team does poorly and if I don't speak up now. So it's basically it kind of runs along with yours, conspiracy theory. Look. General football general managers get fired for one reason, and that's for being bad at their job. They're not fired because they're sending sex to the daughter's or the owner's daughter, right? That get, that gets covered up. If Brian Gain was doing a good job, he would have a job with the Texans today. <laughs> he, could, he could sex Cal's daughter if he was doing a good job. He had a great offseason. He could do that. He could do that, but he had a crappy offseason. Look, I don't even know how you can, can reasonably argue it. We didn't sign uh, Matt Paradis. We signed Matt Cleal. Ah, it was a crappy off season. That's why he got I mean, fired. There's no deeper thought. Yeah, he's gonna start left tackle for sure too. But I do think, like in addition to that, there's probably other things going on here that you know, Nick Easterby contacted Nick Asterio, contacted Monte Awesome for it. And they said they'd be willing to take the job that's made available to him. So that way Houston had somebody that they already had in mind, somebody that they probably wanted two years ago whenever Brian Gaines was first hired, but they couldn't even interview him because of whenever the interview process took place as well too. So then that had something to do with it as well. Uh, I do think it's a combination of, you know, both this was a really bad offseason, and two, some of the guys that they wanted two or two years ago when they first hired Brian Gaines are, are now available for Houston to be able to hire and uh, possibly bring in as well too. And so I assume it's either I think I assume it's just me selling from New England. Hopefully it's not you know Pioli or any other has been. We can talk about some other possible candidates here in a second as well too. Uh, but Ken, did you hate this offseason as much as BFD did? I don't think that for how much I love the draft and how much time I put in the draft, I was sitting here waiting. And you know, Cody Ford was on the board, uh, Jawan Taylor was on the board. And I was like, this is happening. We're going to solve things. The world shall be better. And like the, the the sun will come out, and then all of a sudden we draft Titus Howard, who I in our last podcast I said he is a solid second rounder, but someone's going to take him the first, and that someone just happened to be us. It's it's really disappointing, especially if he can't develop. Uh, I'm terrified that this offensive line is going to ruin Deshaun Watson uh, because the window of opportunity is now, uh, and to lose Kareem Jackson. Tyron Matthew and Andre Howe all in off season, and then only replace them with just the most random group of people. 
is, is just not going to get the job done. So it was really a poor off season. Uh, I just don't think we responded in any manner that will, that should have kept him in the, in this job. So I agree that we need to let him go, but it's unlike the Texans. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. I, I know whenever we did that podcast too, I think I said, leave it some, you said smile will take time. time for first ride. They said, so long as I'm like, oh my God, it's disgusting. I hope not. What a stupid thing to do. And uh, I mean, I don't, I think the Texans draft was good maybe in like three years, but it's not good in the context of this team. Cause I'm not expecting to be Lonnie Johnson this year. I'm expecting anything from him for another you know, two more seasons. Uh, Howard, they were already reporting that he's playing left tackle, left guard, right guard, and right tackle. Uh, and the opposite of what he should play him. And then, and then Max Sharping, I assume they're going to probably try him off at right tackle. And I 100% think Max Lewis is going to start at left tackle. And so the issue is that with Brian Gain this offseason was simply that Deshaun Watson's on his rookie contract still. And even after that, like, the time to win is now, but this is the best chance Houston has to win a Super Bowl since probably, you know, 2011. And this may even be a better opportunity than that. And so they go in the offseason with, you know, $90 million in cap space, uh, four picks in the top 100, and they end up with just kind of like the exact same team. And even the rookies that they selected, I'm not – I wouldn't bet on anyone that's in the first three picks to really have, you know, that great of a season this year. So – I really think the, the biggest reason why game was fired was, one, this was a bad offseason. And then, two, you know, Brian Game preemptively put the blame on him. And then, three, I think some of the guys that they liked two years ago from New England are, are available this year and are interested in the job. And they have the opportunity to actually interview them um, as well for it. Is that a good summarization of it, BFT? Yeah, that's, that says it pretty well for me. And, and I want to go back to, to uh, one aspect of this that really bothers me. Is that and it's Brian T. Smith was the one who tweeted it. I get it, credibility issues here. But talking about how Cal really believes that Bill O'Brien is the guy to bring the city a championship, and it's like, has he not been paying attention the first five years of his career? I mean, we're heading to sixth year of Bill O'Brien's reign of error, and we and we're giving Bill O'Brien, we're really giving him more power in the organization. And what has he done to deserve that power? And so, and now we're going to go get another New England sycophant to come in and be the GM. Oh my gosh, this this organization's heading exactly the wrong way. I can't believe it's been six years. This yeah, is year well, number six. It's pathetic. Yeah, and I think Bill O'Brien plays you know major part of all of this, and this kind of adds some weirdness of it all too, because this is a guy who rarely is taking any blame for the decisions he's made. Uh, you know, throughout like Dermot Smith's tenure, there was that constant fighting behind closed doors. Is what sound like the constant like leaked reports that I didn't want name redacted. He went name redacted. I didn't want to transfer Deshaun Watson. He wanted to transfer Deshaun Watson, which ended up being a very good thing. Uh, I wanted to cut Ryan Mallet. He wouldn't let me cut Ryan Mallet. You only need to be nicer to Ryan Mallet and Brian Hoyer. They're doing the best job they can do. And all that sort of stuff. And so, like with Brian Gain, like it sounded like. Bill O'Brien finally got his guy, the guy that he wanted to have, you know, lead this team. Finally had his general manager, somebody that they could work nicely together. And then you see the same reports again already that their relationship had been strained. They hadn't gotten along together very well. Uh, you know, who knows the truth is at all with him too. And so, like, I know, BFD, your opinion of, you know, Bill O'Brien is very, very little, very small. Uh, but so, Kenneth, like, do you think any less of Bill O'Brien at all anymore after him going through another – general manager like another closed door you know fight session and to come out live and also like how does he keep getting away with all this how does he keep 
being able to take his job and being the last person surviving and having all this, uh, everybody like still feeling good with him at this position and having high confidence in him. You know, they, they got to say the guy's got as big as balls as he's as as big a chin, um, (laughs) away with a lot. Um, my biggest question that I haven't been able to answer is how did he accumulate so much power in this organization to basically get two general managers let go? Um, I mean, I understand he is the head coach and the offensive coordinator, but I mean, he is also like basically running the personnel. He makes the decisions. He just has total control over this franchise. Um, it, it blows me away that he has become this, basically become the, like where I have, he has everything in the franchise. I don't know how to phrase it. He just is the franchise at this point. But I mean, just one or two playoff appearances isn't going to cut it. Um, I know he's doing better than Bill Belichick in his first five years. That's great. Uh, but it's just, we're, we're giving him a lot of credit. I just don't think it's due yet, uh, especially because he can't hang his hat on any one thing that he has made this team better than, like what it would be without him. Yeah, that's a good point. And also, I think the biggest thing people point to is that they went from a 2 win team in 13 to a 9 win team in 14. But that wasn't because of him. That was because it was a talented team that was injured, lost a lot of close games, lost its quarterback, had an awful turnover differential, and then proved in all those facets the year after immediately. And it was just like a, a complete regression to the mean sort of thing. Not, not necessarily Bill Bryan's a super genius and corrected the ship uh, pretty quickly. And, like, I, I really – it's just – it's flabbergasting that this whole thing keeps happening. He keeps surviving. He just can't go away. He'll never die. And he'll, uh, he'll, he'll be here forever. So, BFT, what do you think we have to take for O'Brien to lose his job? Because I think he's going to be here this season no matter what. I think he's going to be here next season pretty much no matter what. Uh, it seems like he already was able to do what he needed to do to buy himself another year, regardless of what happens this season. Like, how bad would he have to be this year for him to be fired? I don't think he gets fired this year. I think he's already deflected that. And then Cal's going to give him a big speech about how you better shape up or we're going to ship you out. And then O'Brien's with the fourth place schedule, last place schedule is going to go nine and seven in 2020. And he saves his job and everybody's like, Oh my God. And it's going to be just the same (laughs) crap. I mean, this is like, this dude is like, like zombie Marvin Lewis. That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) He's got the franchise on, on his finger. And, and, you know, this team was not an 11-5 team last year. I and mean, we've talked about this. this that was an 8-8, eight 7-9 eight, team last year. But we played a bunch of teams who couldn't throw the ball. If you were Nick Foles good, well, you beat the Texans. But we only played, like, four guys that were Nick Foles good all season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he's going to be here this year no matter what. Um, the other thing that's, I guess, kind of interesting is that you know, Bob McNair did die last year of cancer. His son, Cal McNair, took over for the team. Uh, I don't know very much about Cal, but from what I've seen secondhand on the internet is that, like, his entire job pretty much has been to work for the Texans over, like, the last, you know, 18 years. So he just, like, hangs out and was given this de facto role with the team. And that's kind of what he's been doing for, you know, the last 18 years or so. And so, Ken, do you think he's going to be a different type of owner? One of the things that the previous McNair that kind of characterized him was that he – he took his time. He preached stability. He was cautious. He let the football guys do the football stuff. He didn't really meddle in that portion of it. He just said positive and nice things and kind of wrote the checks. And, uh, you know, aside from the remarks that in that conference call, he largely stayed out of 
everything regarding the football side of it and just kind of was behind the doors and spent money. And, uh, you know, there was a criticism of him. Maybe he spent too much time with certain guys. But at the same time, like, he stuck with Gary Kubiak longer than most teams would have. And they were, like, really good for two years because of it. So, uh, Ken, do you think, like, Cal is going to be a more aggressive owner? Is this just going to be his different management style? Or is it just, uh, just something that Bill O'Brien convinced him to do something that you know, he otherwise might not have done? I mean, Bob McNair had – he had the tightest ship. This was a franchise that would not bring anyone in that would rock the boat, that would had anything on the record. And so the personality game that we just didn't have to do with, and Cal, I think that's going to be one thing that he brings in, is he's going to be okay bringing in a guy that might not have the squeaky clean background. Um, I, I think Lonnie Johnson, he, he hasn't done anything wrong from anything I've seen, but you know he, he does come from like a, a hard background. And I think that's kind of like – the first step that a player like that wouldn't have gotten drafted from uh, under a Bob McNair team. Um, I think he's going to run this franchise wholeheartedly differently. I mean, I think just looking at this week, if he, he will pull the trigger. If there is, if he sees an incremental benefit in making a decision, he will not hesitate. He will take advantage of it and not look back. Yeah. Yeah, and then the, the Johnson thing is kind of interesting because I know he he's from Gary, Indiana, and then he also played division, you know, or played community college football. I don't necessarily got in trouble at all, but he had transferred to Kentucky. I know he bounced around some schools before. Yeah, he bounced around. Uh, he found over there. So yeah, maybe that's a that could be like a you know a, a pretty good example of maybe the difference in I guess guys that Houston would take typically before. I guess it's just him and then small school offensive linemen. And if you play the senior bowl, it's how you get drafted by the Texans. Oh, you're, you're in. You got to play the senior bowl. Um, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll review Brian Gaines' tenure and then look at some of the names linked to this new Texans position that's opened up. So I want to quickly go over Brian Gaines' tenure because the weird thing about his tenure is that last year I think he did, like, a really spectacular job. The team had limited amount of cap space. They were missing their first two draft picks after trading up for Deshaun Watson and also a trade name redacted, which was a terrible trade. It was a very bad trade. They could just cut him, and they have to give up a second-round pick to do that, and they would have been just as okay because they create cap space they didn't spend anyways. Uh, but in 2018, limited resources. He had Snow Calamente start left guard. Uh, Sancho Henderson, who started right tackle until he broke his ankle. Zach Fulton, who was the team's best offensive lineman, which really isn't saying much, but he was okay, but he was much worse than he was in Kansas City. The worst move he made was signing Aaron Colvin, which, you know, like a good thing to remember in the future is a player who's okay on a really, really good defense probably isn't going to be okay on a you know, mediocre or just good defense. And then his draft class is really good, too. Both the Jordan rookies contributed. Uh, Martinez Rankin was awful left tackle. He should only play right tackle. It looks like he'll probably start guard sometime this year. He added starting safety Justin Reed and Kiki Cutie as well, too. And But then this year, everything was kind of completely different. Like we've talked about a lot this offseason where he didn't spend the free agency dollars they had available to him. He didn't do enough to improve the secondary. He didn't do enough to improve the offensive line by doing something like signing Roger Saffold. He didn't add any interior rushing presence at all, despite the fact that Joe McCoy would have been perfect here and seemed like he fit all the needs, he, or he used to fit all the needs that he had available to him for the team he was looking to go to. Didn't make a run at um, Lee Jackson all either. And now the team just kind of is like the same again this year, despite the opportunity available to him. So, BFT, did you, over the course of two years, not just looking at this offseason, did you think Gabe did a good job? And what do you think is going to be, like, the ultimate legacy of his tenure here? 
I think the ultimate legacy of his tenure is really going to be the last week or so. Like, what the heck happened with Brian Gain? That's going to be his legacy. Yeah, he <laughs> <laughs> Where is he going to end up? I think I'll probably take a year off and go like to Buffalo or the Jets or something. I mean, you know, the, the thing is, is he did a, such a poor job. And, and, you know, you saw some of the responses, some of the responses on Twitter that I saw are basically like, if you're a football person, you're not surprised because he did such a bad job this year. And I, that's Matt and I have been saying that all, all off season is, wow, what, what is he even thinking? So as far as what his legacy is, I think his legacy is going to be, he's a guy that got canned 15 months in and ta-ta. Yeah, I think with him, some guys are just you know, more risk-averse and more conservative. You know, Ballard with Indy had the exact same sort of off-season gain had. I mean, there really, there really wasn't anything different, except the Colts didn't have the same number of needs that Houston had. And uh, but they had, you know, a lot of resources that they didn't really use at all. And so I, I think that's just kind of a weird thing about, like, he did such a good job last year. This year it wasn't so much. But I think that just may be, you know, kind of his philosophy, that he doesn't want to spend free agency they're looking to possibly build for the future, I guess, what they did in the draft. And uh, his philosophy was just slightly different. But I don't think necessarily he's bad or is going to be a bad general manager, had bad tenure. I think he was just bad with the set of circumstances available to him and was looking to do something entirely different or just doesn't like spending a lot of money in free agency, which there, there are a lot of general managers who are like that. I think you kind of overthink things too and be a dumb nerd instead of you know, going out there and spending and getting it. You, I mean, you have, there are times like you just, you have to take risks. And what I, what I see from Brian Gain is that he was just so uber risk adverse. The whole thing with like Tyron Matthew, like even going after him, we got lucky with Matthew because it's like Brian Gain said, I'm not going to pay Matthew more than this. And then mm-hmm. when the Kansas City Chiefs backed up the Brinks truck, he was like, I'm out of And so, but he did the same thing with Roger Saffold. It's like sometimes – look, look, I get it. I get it. You don't want to pay the guy an extra million or two million bucks a year that he doesn't deserve. But when it makes a tremendous difference on your team, you, you ante up. You pay. And so what I see from Gain is he just kind of had this weird, I don't understand how market dynamics work kind of thing going for him in free agency. Yeah, I, I mean, the key of free agency is that you don't pay a player what he's worth. You pay what it takes to bring him to your team. And, you know, they kind of weighs in with it as well, too. And thank God he didn't pay Matthew. Uh, I like to ESPN today. It was like they had a bunch of Matthew stuff about the Kansas City Chiefs. It's like Matthew is the face of the Kansas City Chiefs defense, how they feel about it. So they're going to feel terrible about it in, like, three months exactly. Uh, so, Kenneth, overall, what, it, what, is your, uh, what are your thoughts on Brian Gay, like, overall? Do you, do you think he did a good job here? Uh, are you soured by 2019? And did you like the 2018 he had? So I- – I think back to almost exactly a year ago when we signed Tyron Matthew. I mean, we were ecstatic. Everyone blew up. We're like, this is such a real a cool move. We got him for like $7 million uh, on a make-or-break deal. And I thought that was really interesting. Uh, I thought he, I mean, he started hot with a really good draft class, uh, guys who were able to instantly contribute with. You know, he had rags to start with in terms of like the draft and free agency. And he entered this offseason with a bunch of riches and a bunch of problems. And what happened is he couldn't spend the riches and the problems got worse. I mean, Jadavion Clowney, this is going to get bad. 
either we're going to owe him a ton of money next year after he either sits out or plays fantastically, or we don't get anything near what we should in terms of draft capital for him. Uh, and, you know, Deshaun Watson's career could be over if we have, if this offensive line goes into the season as it will be. Yeah. And so, so the Texans have, you know, there's been some names announced to interview. They interviewed Mara Mayhew. They interviewed Ray Farmer. Uh, both guys are African-Americans. It seems like they did it just to satiate the reading role because both guys were bad at their jobs at previous, the previous times they were at GMs for the Detroit Lions and also in Cleveland. So it didn't seem like Houston was really looking to you know, sign them at all. Uh, anyways, but kind of the big names that have come up are Scott Pioli of the Kansas City Chiefs, who used to be the GM there trying to create the Patriots in Kansas City. They went 10-6 once and traded for Matt Castleman in the playoffs once. And we're all for the rest of the time, and everything that you read about Scott Pioli is that nobody likes him whatsoever. And then, of course, they're also linked to two other New England uh, staffers. One is Nick Casario, and then there's Monte Austin Ford, who's the Patriots director of college scouting. Casario's the Patriots uh, vice, or I guess executive of the player personnel. And then there's also things that Reggie McKenzie's going to interview. Um, some other names are linked, but it doesn't seem like they're even going to interview at all. And so the idea is that the Texans will have a general manager by Friday. So, BFD, why are the Texans so obsessed with the Patriots? Do you like any of these guys who are either as a general manager for the Texans either? I don't really know. I mean, there's, they don't have much of a track record. I don't know how you judge these guys. I mean, the, the funny thing is, and Bill O'Brien really embodies it better than it really anybody else, because if you're talking about from the Bill Belichick kind of tree kind of thing, is that he's got now five years' experience as a head coach in the NFL, and we've seen a bunch of his other guys you know, McDaniel being one, where nobody else from Bill Belichick coaching tree has been successful to any degree. Like you look at Andy Reid, wow. Bill Belichick, suck. So I don't – the thing that makes the Patriots good is not the GM. It's Bill Belichick and it's Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. You take those two guys out because nobody, nobody better schemes against the opponent, their opponent's weaknesses better than Bill Belichick. And so, but these, these GMs, they, what are they doing? They're, they're not grabbing the guys that he wants. He's just taking the, what he has and he's using them to the best of his ability. The GMs aren't good. The rest of the team is, you know, it's, or, you know, the, the players are good because he puts them in a position to win. Bill O'Brien does the exact opposite. He puts his players, he wants to fit his, his square peg players in round holes all the time. So it's, you know, it's not the, the, Nick Easterby, it's not McDaniel, Josh McDaniel, it's not these other guys, it's certainly not Bill O'Brien, it's Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. So, look, you can keep getting these New England guys, and they're going to keep failing. So, I don't have any, like, expectation they're going to succeed. Yeah, and I think this first key there, Bill Belichick's only the head coach, he's also the general manager of the team, too. And so, like, you hire these guys, and the reason why the Patriots are so good is because of Belichick and Brady. It's not because of Casario and Pioli and, uh, you know, all these other guys. They, of course, they're monumental and valuable parts of the team within that structure. But outside the structure, it's not the same thing. It's so, like if you want to replicate the Patriots, you need the greatest head coach of all time, the greatest quarterback of all time, and you need the, court, the greatest quarterback of all time to get paid, like, through documentaries and business ventures and only be, you know, attached to $15 million to your cap every year or whatever it is that he makes so you can have additional money to – have the depth that they're able to keep in year in, year out. So, yeah, like, I don't – I'm not expecting anything good at all from any former Patriots guy. 
I don't like the Patriots either, so I'm so tired of this obsession with them too. And uh, it just seems like it's going to be one of these two guys probably, though, to be the Texans' new general manager. Uh, what about you, Ken? Do you like either one of these guys? And do you have uh, like a favorite candidate to be the Texans' general manager? I mean, I've been so detached from the general manager search and the pay. I really don't have any Patriots knowledge outside of that we love them. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you take a tiger out of the zoo, put him in the middle of New York, and it's not going to know what to do. I mean, you take these player personnel, general manager types from outside of the Bill Belichick, Tom Brady castle, and they don't know what to do. You know, they're running, they, we've seen it time and again where, you know, just kind of like what BFT just said, that they don't know like what to do. We'll see who they take. I think it's, it has to be someone that Bill O'Brien can vouch for. I don't think they're going to bring in someone random who has his own ideas. I mean, just look at what they did for the offensive coordinator position. They promoted someone internally. They didn't bring anyone else in with a different thought process. They just want the same thought, and they're just going to bang their head against a wall until we lose 12 games a year. Yeah. Yeah, and that yeah, the whole Tim Kelly thing, who knows what happens to that as well too. Um, really the only thing I care about for the Texans GM is I just want them to pay Jadavion Clowney. Just do it. He's twenty seven years old. He's entering the prime of his career. He's probably the best edge run defender in football. He has the potential to be a top ten pass rusher. And like he's almost there, he's just not there yet. He just needs to know what to do after his first move's been stopped and to come up with that second move in a in a plan B on his pass rushes. If he does that, he's going to have, like, you know, 13 sacks, 34 back hits, and 50 pressures consistently. Uh, also, I know, like, this whole idea has come up that, thank God J.J. Watt is finally healthy again and we can count on him to play an entire season. Who knows if that's ever going to happen again? He's played – he played all 16 games last year, but he played, I think, nine combined the two years previous to that. I think last year is more of the outlier in the future than uh, being the new normal of him playing 16 games a week in and week out. And so, and also the thing with Clowney, too, it's like they need both Watt and Clowney. Without Clowney, this defense is terrible. There's not anybody they can trade for that's going to improve this defense enough to make up for not having him on this team. And for them to have any sort of pass rush, Watt and Clowney both have to be great together at the same time. And if you lose that, you lose that entirely. You, use, you also lose a cornerstone of a defense you can build around after Watt, you know, is kind of dried out and uh, isn't producing, you know, 15-sack seasons every year as well, too. And I think he's too valuable on this team to be able to trade for a first-round pick or trade for, like, I don't know, Ryan Kerrigan, a first-round pick or something along those lines. Uh, or Ryan Kerrigan, Trent Williams, a first-round pick, something like that. I think he's just way too good of a player. And so whoever they sign, I just hope the first thing they do is extend Jadavion Clowney, get that done with. And, and also, like, Clowney needs to be there for train camp, too, because he was in train camp last year. It took him three weeks to get going. And this year, the Texans don't have that luxury of starting off 0 3 with the schedule that they are about to face as well, too. Um, so, you know, I guess, BFD, what do you think? Do you want them to sign Clowney immediately? I saw some picture on Twitter just now that he's just jacked. Like, he's just doing curls with like 95 pound weights, and he looks ridiculous. Yeah, we should. Okay, and let's put to, to bed another one of the conspiracy theories is that Brian Jane was fired because he didn't sign Clowney. And let's just put it this way, because I saw this comment. So many, so many people like said this that they thought that that Brian Gain literally had the best draft in NFL history. What you base that on, I don't know, but it was multiple commenters said this, which I thought was hilarious. So if the guy who just had the best draft in NFL history can't sign Clowney, then you fire him. 
nah. So it's a problem. It's also a problem I understand because I don't know what to do about clowning. I'm not, I'm very opinionated when it comes to the footballs. I don't know what I do about clowning. I, 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 the injury risk is so high and, and the ceiling is so high and what do you do? So um, I, I think it's a problem he's not signed. It's not why Gain was fired, but I, I don't know what to do with clowning either. I would think I would resign him and take the risk because Look what happened! You know, look what happened to the Raiders when they traded Khalil Mack. You got to, you got to have that pass rusher on your team. And it, look, if we trade Clowning, we're just other teams are just going to quadruple team JJ Watt. Nobody's going to get to the quarterback. Well, you can't. Are you all in on Houston's extending Clowning? I mean, would you rather see Clowning in a Texan jersey or a Colts jersey? Colts jersey. I mean, <laughs> the, the Colts were were. Going, the, the Colts had all the cards and easily could have put down. Uh, I forgot. I'm blanking on how some of the the nitpicky of the franchise tag rules are, but I believe if you, if a a team offers them a like a, a certain amount, the Texans would have to match. And the Colts could have asked to for a huge amount for the Texans to match. Fortunately, they didn't, and so now we're still stuck in this franchise tag limbo state. Uh, it's going to take a while. It's going to get bloody because now a lot of the cards are switching into Jadavion Clowney's hand because the the conversations with uh, Brian Gann are done. He's out of the building. So I, I think we need to keep Clowney. Uh, I think from a defensive standpoint, it helps Romeo Cornell unleash a lot of the other players on the defense I and mean, kind of run a lot of those NASCAR packages or any of the other like really unique blitz packages that have worked really well in the past. Uh, I think you have to have two edge rushers. I, you have to – Clowney and Watt have to run together. Yeah. Yeah, and, and well, I think with Clowney, too, you, I don't, you can't sign a guy who's franchise tag, but it'd be different if you restrict a free agent, but you could trade for him. And, I mean, it's not, all the reports were that the – the rumors I read was that they, they were looking at shopping for the Chiefs. The Chiefs trade for Frank Clark and said – also, the Texans have been trying to extend Clowney for two years now. They haven't gotten anywhere because the Texans want to pay him like an outside linebacker and pay him less. But he's a defensive end. He's not an outside linebacker at all. Um, and like, just give him four years, $100 million, you know. And then $60 million, that's guaranteed. You can come after two years if he's hurt and then kind of be done with it that if, you know, the disaster happens. But, I mean, he's too valuable, I think, where you can't really not keep him. And so I guess this is kind of like the only good thing about – one of the good things about the Brian game firing is that you have a guy, whoever you bring in now, you can kind of start completely new with contract talks. And whoever they sign wants to keep uh, Clowney. So you can come in and start completely new, uh, start from the very beginning, and then, you know, make it work out and get him here as soon as possible. Because, again, like, this is still a very talented team. It's not – I still don't think it's a bad football team. It's a top-heavy team. And I still think they can be, you know, good this year. But without Clowney, they're not going to be a good team at all. And, uh, and I think it also severely limits what they can do in the future. Like even if they get two first-round picks and a starter, I don't think it's going to be really worth it at all whenever you have a guy who's already as good established as Clowney is too. So the, the next question I have here for you, BFD, is that you know ultimately after this Brian game firing, uh, what's your outlook on this team this year? Does it affect it at all? Do you, are you kind of like, well, I thought the Texans were going to be a 9-1 team? But now, because it's fire and they're going to be a seven-one team, uh, do you feel any differently at all now that Brian Gaines been fired? No, because I think the the damage are, is already done. I, I think that you know that's again. I'm going to go back to Brian Gaines was fired because he was a bad.
bad general manager. It's just so fundamental to me to see that, you know, we talked about it. You can, you know, it's silly. It's, uh, the conspiracy stories, uh, stories are silly. I'm tired of them. Sometimes Occam's Razor just really wins, okay? So uh, he's done the damage. This, to me, still looks like a five or six win team to me. I, it, you know, it doesn't matter at this point. I don't know who a new general manager is going to really bring in. You got uh, uh, Sue is out there as far as an interior pass rusher. Morris Claiborne still unsigned. Well, he's, he's, Sue's signed with Tampa. Yeah, Sue's gone. Oh, no. When did I, did I, was that today? No, it was like three weeks ago. Yeah, that was a little bit ago. Oh, yeah. gosh. Okay, my bad. So, uh, but Morris Claiborne's still out there. I know that one. So, um, yeah, I mean, these, there's not going to be a whole lot you can do in between now and then. I mean, we've got A.J. McCarron as a freaking backup quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I think it I, – I think this is – if I had a pick now based on last year, based on the schedule this year, everything going along with it, I would put him at seven wins or eight wins. But if, like, Watson plays at MVP level, if Watt and Clowney are both healthy for the entire season, if Angel Blackson gets, like, five sacks, if, <laughs> uh, if Lonnie Johnson can contribute right away, if Matt Khalil is in the starting left tackle and you know, Davenport's fine or – Tyus Howard can come in, start left tackle, and be okay. And Sharvey can start right tackle and be okay. If the pass blocking is like you know, 16th in football, like all, there's so many things that would have to happen. And if those things happen, I think this could still be a 10 11 win team because they have so much high end top talent. But the problem is that there's that's so many ifs, so many question marks. And just based off like how kind of fortunate they were in some ways last year as well, too. And the schedule they faced last year, they kind of blow their, their one schedule to their number ones to 11. The fact that Clowney still isn't signed, I would put him at you know seven, eight wins right now, and uh, just so many just beautiful things have to happen for it to kind of get bumped up from there. Um, so, Kev, what are what's your outlook entering the season as we get closer to new training camp and those sorts of things? I don't think the the franchise has been in a shakier position in a while. You know, there there were two and fourteen years where like okay, everyone was injured, that's why we sucked. We just don't know. I think those. There's so many question marks. You know, we play the Saints, Chargers, Chiefs, Patriots. Uh, I mean, Ravens are going to be good. The, the schedule is going to be tough. Um, I mean, the, what people say that the schedule doesn't change too much depending on if you're one seed or, like, if you have a first place or fourth place. But, you know, the, the two games that change, that's the difference between 7-9 and nine and 9-7. Nine and seven. And so I think this was a 9-7 and seven team that had two really easy wins and benefit from those and became an 11-5 win team. Um, this year, I, I think they go 8-8, eight and eight, um, and Bill O'Brien keeps his job. I, I think 8-8 eight and eight is a really good spot, just aligned with mediocre. Yeah, yeah, especially since you know, Brian Gaines fired now as well, too, and uh, he doesn't have to he, – he's already blamed him for it, it seems like. The scapegoat has been created. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out one more thing. is that Bill O'Brien's entire career has hinged upon beating opponents in the AFC South. Yeah. I mean, he almost, you know, I think it's something like 80% of his wins is against three teams. And all of a sudden now, Jacksonville is better than we are. The Colts are better than we are. And we're pretty even with the BSFs. So that's it. I mean, our, we no longer have that kind of strength of schedule from our uh, divisional opponents. We're not going to beat up on them anymore. We're going to go four or two and four against them. We're not going to go five and one or six and zero like Bob has done almost every year up until last year. That's why this, mm, yeah, 
I don't see us even having a 500 record because who are we gonna who are we gonna beat? I mean, the Raiders. Well, but it's just like the, the the top in talent is still there. It's kind of the argument for you know thinking that they can maybe win eight wins. Deshaun Watson is still really really good. JJ Watt's still really good. Clowney's still really good. They're gonna have the best run defensive football again this year. And that's the argument for it. They're going to have Fuller, Cutie, and Hopkins all healthy. And that's the argument for, like, seven wins. It's not all Mac losses to Indy and Jacksonville and Tennessee and that sort of thing, too. You know, I think yeah. five wins is way too low, but I could see five wins happening. And so I think it's just – but I can't see 11 wins happening unless so many things come together, you know. Yeah, but even so – let's – okay, we're going to have the best run defense next year. I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, you've got to keep in mind, last year was literally a historic run defense for the Houston Texans. But we're playing a bunch of teams who can throw the ball. And yeah. that blows it up. And our secondary is, is ass on a cracker. Well, and that's the whole thing is that Watson has to play at MVP level. And Watson's still really good. Like, Watson can score, you know, 30, you know 31 points. But then it's up to you at the same time, Bill O'Brien opening up the offense for him. And then allowing him to throw the ball downfield and those sorts of things. I think a lot of the – Conservative nature last year was just because nobody was healthy. It was just Hopkins was the only person available. And so Bill O'Brien's always been that person to do, do the bare minimum to win games in this you run the ball, play defense sort of way. And unless they were down, they were opening it up. But the opportunity is still there and available. And we know how good this offense can be with the talent it has if he actually allows it to happen. But the ceiling doesn't recognize it's the ceiling a lot of times. And that's what – like, like everything's there. Like the talent's there everything else, but there's just so many different barriers, you know, kind of blocking in that same time, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's going to try to – If we'll, we're going to know pretty quickly because if he tries to establish the run against the Saints, oh. if, if he starts handing the ball off to Lamar Miller and Dante Foreman and somehow resurrects Alfred Blue from the Jaguars, that's it. That's, that's Bill's philosophy is that we're going to establish the run at all costs and it's going to cost us games. Yeah, especially because the Saints have a great run defense, too. Their pass defense is mediocre. They had a top three run defense last year, too. Yeah, so we're going to know pretty quickly. and Because O'Brien's not going to change. He's, gonna, he's already established what his offense is going to be for 2019. He is not going to change. Yeah. If it works yeah. with Tom Brady, it's going to work with Deshaun Watson, or I'll <laughs> be damned. It's amazing how much money he made because he yelled at Tom Brady on the sideline that one time. In like a 3-0 game in the first quarter against Buffalo. Uh, yeah, Clifford got him a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and I guess the other thing too, like all the preseason expectations and models, they're all going to say Houston has the toughest schedule entering this year as well too. But they're mm-hmm. all going to say thirty second average DVO per per opponent's like four and a half percent, and and that's yeah, usually where that happens unless you're like a Super Bowl caliber team, you're you're not going to win like eleven games or anything like that. And this is what it looks like it's going to take to win the division, and uh, even being a wild card team is probably going to take ten wins too. So we're going to take one quick break, and then we're going to go over the reader questions that we have for you. Right. So my first question for you, Kenneth, is, was from uh, Meigs34334 on Twitter. And he said, uh, I'm just kind of wondering why someone want to take this GM position when they don't get an offseason, they don't get a draft at all, and also they're automatically tied to Bill O'Brien. So can it make the argument why this is a good uh, position to take if you want to be a general manager? You know, I think that – a lot of general manager positions open up when the team is has tanked. They are two and fourteen. They general manager before them has taken four years to wipe their roster clean, and now you just have a blank slate. 
The Texans are honestly the complete opposite for good and bad reasons. You know, they have the franchise quarterback. They have the franchise. They have two franchise pass rushers. Um, they have a boatload of money, and you know they have the top, top three wide receiver. Uh, they have a solid to average running back. You know, there are a lot of pieces in place that a general manager can work from. So you know, from that point of view, if you are a high level player personnel and you and you know you can add two or three pieces to this team. You know, they're, they're this, somehow the Texans are somewhere between being the worst team in football and the Super Bowl contender, and like on an hourly basis. And so, you know, just a little bit of consistency that a above-average general manager can, could provide, you know, that, that would be exciting for someone that is at like a senior vice president level. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, really Bill O'Brien's kind of one bad thing about this position because next year they're going to have probably $70 million in cap space. Uh, and even more than that, if they don't extend Jaday Van Clowney, you have a franchise quarterback as more you're in his rookie contract, and then you have to pay him $19 million after his fifth-year option, we're kind of extending him. Uh, all the wide receiver talent's really good and young here as well, too. Uh, you mentioned you have Juan Clowney. Uh, like, there's a lot of stuff available here to you. You have a lot of draft capital next year and free agent cap space, too. And uh, I, I mean, I think it's a great job, but it's just you're stuck to Bill O'Brien away. And no matter what happens, too, it seems like he's going to win out he's going to be the one who's been left standing and you're going to be kind of left behind as well too. Uh, BFD, do you think this is a good position for whoever ends up taking it by Fridays with the report say? I would say, I would say all signs point to no on that one, because let's look at his, his track record. You got uh, George Godsey was one of his besties. Oh, he's going to work with them so well. Gone. Brian Gain, bestie. Oh my God. They like cuddle at night in the spoon position. Gone. Uh, <laughs> Tim Ryan, Gone. Who's, Look, who's the, who's, the, who's the little spoon out of Brian Gay? <laughs> oh. I, I don't want to know, but you know, it's it's why would I mean seriously? It's it's like it reminds me of I can't remember the exact name of the tale. I think it's called the Scorpion and the Turtle or something like that. Where where the scorpion like says, "Look, look, if you give me a ride across the river, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna kill you." And the tortoise is like, "Okay, cool." Yeah, because I don't really want to die, and you're going to die too, so of course you're not going to see me. And halfway through the river, the scorpion stings the turtle, and they both die. And so that's what it's going to be like working for Bill O'Brien. You're going to get stung. It's just a matter of when. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, th- and that's kind of a hard thing, I guess, is that you know, from a football perspective, purely talent-wise and resources available, they don't have any bad contracts. They don't have a bunch of dead cap space. Like it's, a, it's a great situation to be in. The franchise is in a great position in so many ways. And that's just that fact that you have to deal with that portion of it, the head coach that you walk into, who just is, is never going to go away. So the, the next question we have here is from CMS454. I think I said that right. He said, Matt, is it possible that Brian Gain used PFF for player evaluations? And that's what <laughs> resulted in his firing. You know? <laughs> I think that says a lot more – it makes a lot more sense for the draft you had because Tyus Howard did have like a 92.4 at Alabama State. Uh, and Max Sharping had like a, a 96.7 pass blocking efficiency. Despite the fact that he just like turned himself to the line of scrimmage and the ball was out quickly and they had a super uh, athletic quarterback and he's playing the back. And his pass that won't translate to the pros. He has to learn how to pass block completely all over again. Despite all those facts, but yeah, I think that's probably, that better explains the Texans draft and offseason. 
I burned anything else. So yeah, if this is the case, I'm all for Brian Gaming Farm now. I, I tell you what, it's like we we watched a, a film on one game, and, or like on just one thing, the Senior Bowl. Yeah. The Senior Bowl and PFF, we didn't watch any of the other 11 or 12 or 13 games that these guys played. We watched like one thing. Yeah. Uh, the other, it made me so mad too the other day that PFF came out with a, a clutch rating for interior offensive linemen, and I, I about lost it. I can't believe that I'm still here to, to this day after seeing that. Um, the next question we had here, this doesn't even really look like a question now that I'm looking at it. Yeah, this really isn't a question. It's more of a more of a statement. You want me to read the statement? You yeah, read it. it. Read yeah, it. Go All right, Ken. So he said, Matt, you read a link the, about how horrible the offseason went. I think provide many reasons that would justify firing gain. I think most things except game probably doesn't want to be an A plus GM, at least not in the near term, perhaps a C plus B minus kind of manager but probably not an A-level GM. I think Calvin Nair simply is one of humor mediocrity. If the season doesn't go well, I'm sure we all know who will be next. So, Kenneth, elaborate on the statement that Winery Johnson made. Uh, it's, it's hard to tell what the Texans, like, where they stand in terms of, like, a rating, um, in terms of, like, rating Brian Gain, in terms of, like, giving a grade. I mean, he obviously failed. Like, he deserves an F. Like, this offseason was a D-minus. But, like, in the general span of things, he failed. Um, and that's why he got the boot after, like, such a short time. Um, I mean, there really isn't much of an argument that he, like, was a good or bad general manager or if, like, maybe the, the situation wasn't right for him to succeed. You know, he just didn't qualify in the ways that he needed to in this last offseason. Uh, and the writing was on the wall, um, you know, in this OTAs showed what the the fruits of this past offseason. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't think you can really go into hiring GM thing. He'd probably be an A-plus one. Uh, I don't know what expectations that really are at all. But I do think – I mean, I, but even – I think he was fine. Like, I would give him, like, a C-plus. B, B, I would give him, like, an A last year and then a D this year. And those things kind of combine the two for a C-plus. Uh, but I don't think that – like we mentioned before, that Bill Brown will even be fired if they do go, you know, five and eleven or six and ten or seven and nine or miss the playoffs. I think he's just going to survive another year. It seems like he already has Cal McNair's ear, and they're creating this like holy trinity of New England Patriots players as well too, or New England Patriots uh, front office and personnel, so they can I don't know do whatever blood cult stuff that they do in New England to not win football games outside of it. So I don't know it's confusing though. And I think I finally, after you know, talking to you two tonight, I think I finally understand why Brian Game is fired. And I think everything makes a whole lot more sense now. And why is that? Uh, he was fired because the offseason was bad. And, and he has the opportunity to interview and probably hire one of the guys that he wanted to hire two years ago. And I think Easterby was able to communicate that to O'Brien, you know, whenever he went to New England, that sort of thing. So, so I got I got a follow up question for both of you on this one, starting with Kenneth. Is is if that's kind of the state of your ownership that that like they're going to just kind of whim off what the head coach is saying? What do you think about the future of the Texans? Well, it rests on the chin of Bill O'Brien. Uh, you know, <laughs> it, it depends if he can take it, and he's got two big old chins to take it on. Uh, <laughs> It'll. It's terrifying. I mean, that's what happens really when ownership changes. Is that there's going to be a grab of power. 
you know, Bob, he, I don't really know all the ins and outs of how he ran the franchise, but, you know, when he, he passed away, Cal took over, but, you know, I, there's going to be opportunities, and it looks like Bill O'Brien took every single opportunity. Uh, I mean, he is going to run this franchise either to a Super Bowl or into the ground. Uh, and it's going to be really either way because the, the Texans are going to ride or die with Bill O'Brien. Uh, I mean, it, it is terrifying to think that a head coach who – this is his first head coach stint. You have to remember, like, he was, an, he was only an officer coordinator before this. You know, he hasn't had any other head coaching experience. Um, and so they're really putting all the cards in and all the chips in on Bill O'Brien. Yeah, and he, and he was offensive coordinator for one year with Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez, with the offense that he didn't come up with. Before that, he was like a tight ends coach, you know, too. With the best quarterback. Uh, yeah, with the best quarterback. And that's the important thing there. But, yeah, I don't I, – I mean, I think that's kind of a hard thing about it is that in sports, the owner is the most important thing. Like, if you have an awful owner, your team's going to be bad. If you have an owner that doesn't spend money, your team's going to be bad. If he doesn't make the right decisions on who he hires as your GM and head coach, the team's going to be bad. And so I, I, don't th- I don't think Bill Bryan's going to run this team the ground. He pretty much runs his team to 8-8, eight and 9-7. Eight, and seven. But I think he severely handicaps, you know, what this team can do. And I think over the last five years he's been a head coach, the team has gotten the bare most minimum out of its talent. And it's a, you know, it's a direct result of the decisions he's made. But, yeah, it, it is interesting, though, the fact that you have an owner who's just come in and it's either he came in and just is going to listen to be, like, super malleable and listen to whoever else is around him and make decisions off of that. Or he just wants to make a big, big decision because now he's the owner and he wants to do something, you know, take control and take charge and do something now that he has this power. So it's been one or the other, and we'll have to just kind of wait and see. But it is weird being a Texans fan. And this is like the first time, like, you're kind of like in a state of flex and not entirely sure what's going on at all. No, and I tell you what, if, if, if I'm just going to be upfront and honest about this. I don't really consider Cal McNair to be anything more, and, and UT put it the right way. He's a fail son. He's a guy who just basically has lived off the success of his father, and that's the guy who's running this franchise now. So if you think I've got any faith in somebody like that who's never had a real job, who's never doesn't have really any, any real experience, and he's just been kind of hanging around his father's success, man, that's not a recipe for success. It's, it's not. We saw – look what happened with the BSFs when um, uh, Bud Adams passed away and Amy, Amy Adams took over the franchise. It was a disaster. It was a cluster. And I don't see this being any better. Yeah, well, that mustache is a mustache for success, though. <laughs> God. Yeah. At least, at least he'll, the racism will be down like 50%. So that'll be nice. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like the energy of the sun. It's like, you know, you grow a, grow a tree and it has 100% of the energy of the sun. And then it grows an acorn and it has like 10% of that. And by the time you get to, like, the big cow, it's 1%. Maybe racism works the same way. <laughs> you know, like, it just, like, it, it drops down by, like, 100% each time. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's my guess. Understanding what he was saying and how people were receiving it in any context. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, so that's going to be our show for tonight. We'll do the show next week again whenever the Texans do name their general manager. No reports are that they'll have somebody out there named, 
blood sealed on Friday. And it's probably me smart from New England. And we'll probably complain a lot and cry a lot that the Texans got another New England guy who's probably going to be pretty bad or whatever. It's going to be the same thing all over again. But anyways, I think for Beyond Tonight, BFD. Thank you for Beyond Tonight, Kenneth. My name is Matt West, and thank you for listening to Outright Radio. Woo!